And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Rob Proust. Now Rob is a very talented musician and at 15 years old joined the Canadian band The Spoons as your keyboardist. And for those who remember The Spoons, I had their lead singer Gordon Depp on a couple years ago. Some of their songs include Romantic Traffic and Noble Heart. They're fantastic. They didn't quite break through in the States. We talked a little bit about that. Talk about his experience in The Spoons. He was there for five years before moving on to Honeymoon Suite. Another fantastic band. Different sound than The Spoons, but great nonetheless. And then after that, Rob went off into the theater world. We talk about that, some of the shows that he's worked on, and if Broadway's ever going to recover after this whole pandemic. He also was Rami Malek's first piano coach in preparation for Bohemian Rhapsody. We talk about that experience. Rob's a super nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So Rob, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, had a long, you know, talented, uh, amazing career so far. But I just want to touch on one thing. Um, Broadway, you did a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mamma Mia. And yep. Once. yep. And, um, but now, obviously, the pandemic now has shut down Broadway for a while now. I don't think it's supposed to be back. Maybe it's a little early. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think they, something. yes, at least. I mean, they just did another announcement that I think it was like May or June. But right. I, I think every time they make a prediction, yeah, it's sure. like nobody really knows. Right. Yeah. How, how is it going to survive? I have no idea. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like I, I think about it, like I haven't, Mamma Mia closed five years ago. Right. And so I haven't really been doing a show in five right. years, but I've been playing Phantom of the Opera once in a while, coming in to sub for some other musicians and had been doing some workshops of new shows and development and stuff, but everything has stopped. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a strange thing. I mean, you know, people say, unfortunately, the live entertainment business is like the last thing that people are considering is yeah. like like a safe place to go so right. yeah it's a shame because i mean because they pack in those the theater yeah. really, yeah. really smaller you know some of them are over 100 years old totally and um, i know yeah. like, you know football they're allowed some stadiums allowing a little little bit of capacity and you see right. like yeah. maybe there's a four or five people in like one section it's like yes you can't do that in, in a broadway show no and it's weird because for for a moment i think they were trying to think of how can we reconfigure the seats and stuff right and in europe i know in the summertime there was a couple places trying to do like they would have a theater and then they would have like 50 people in the theater all spread out right. and you know they said well it was sort of nice to be able to be on a stage performing but that you can't run a that the business is is basically run based on selling a certain number of tickets right so yeah. it's not very feasible Right. And I know like they released, I know they were releasing the theaters with Hamilton and they, yeah. they, they released it on Disney Plus. Yeah. It was amazing. And yeah. I wasn't fortunate to see it, you know, on Broadway. Do you yeah. think maybe they will like start maybe doing those like live virtually instead of, you know, just, know. Doing, I mean, just to get some, some. Ad- I would, I would imagine that they would like, I mean, the thing is you do have to think creatively now in terms right. of what are you going to do with, with, yeah. with your livelihood? I mean, certainly, right. If you can't sit back and just say, well, there's nothing we can do, even though there is kind of nothing you can do. So it does take some new creative avenues of thinking, which is probably good in the long run, because then at some point things will get back. I mean, I don't I can't say that it's going to be normal again, but whatever whatever is going to become the new normal, we will hopefully be able to incorporate all this that we've learned in the meantime. And I think the idea of having shows on TV or like, you know, pay-per-view or whatever is a fantastic yeah. alternative, really. Right, exactly. So, Just, you know, it'll keep, you know, the stagehands, you know, the yeah. 
work in the the theater's jobs again you know yeah it's, it's, totally you know I've like worked. you know josh groban has done uh some live performances yeah. mother my mother-in-law is a huge josh groban fan right. so he did this concert in june where you bought a ticket and it was like yeah. 20 bucks or something but it was like a worldwide event. So I would have, and he had it done in a nice studio with proper lights and stuff. And it was just him and I think two or three other musicians, but it sounded fantastic. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool because yeah. if, depending on the production values and what you do and, and your level of, of audience reachability, right. it's, it's, it is another avenue of thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, if you're just like in your basement on your couch playing, you know, your guitar, yeah. 20 bucks, maybe that's a little too much, but right. it's really, you know, big production. That's, that's one thing, you know, totally mad. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, unfortunately I didn't know about the spoons when you guys were popular. Cause okay. I was going to ask, I wondered if you had ever. No. Yeah. Cause I was, you know, in the States, yeah. uh, you guys really didn't bleed through that much. Mm. But I went up to uh, college in Buffalo in yep. the early nineties yep. and discovered you guys then. So it was funny. You guys weren't even together. It's when I yeah. discovered you guys, uh, it happens. I've interviewed a lot of bands, Canadian bands like that where, yeah covered you guys after the fact and, and then you hear us over the border yeah exactly right I through and, and it was fantastic so that was like totally. besides like the the buffalo wings and the beer yeah the music was the best thing i got out of college totally totally you know, it, it was great so that's I think good that you but it's good that you even found us in the 90s because at, i think it feels like for that period between the 90s into the early 2000s yeah it was just starting to become cool again to play right. some music from the previous decade right yeah it, it was weird because like i was i was always you know in love with the 80s music you know new yeah. York, you know whatever and yeah. uh, i it never even like in the early 90s i never really stopped loving it yes so and you know thankfully they started that was maybe the river in either Niagara Falls or Station in Toronto, yeah, a retro hour, yes, yeah, and yeah. then I heard uh, Romantic Traffic. Oh, cool! Like, this song's really cool. It, it oh, was, that's awesome! Beat. Yeah, and that was obviously before you know YouTube where you, or streaming sites. So yeah, totally. you know, the, which I kind of missed the the search of getting an album the story. I do too. Yeah, it was great, you know, and like you got to you remember like a, a lyric or something like that. You got and then you got to either hum it or sing it. Back. I still do it. I it's it's yeah. good like when you're a real music fan like and I'm sure you do it too but I still do it like I'll be listening to a streaming station yeah. and especially like like stations that play a lot of 80s music. Right. And I hear so much that I know but then I'll also hear things I don't know at all. Right. And I'm like holy yeah. what is this? And I have to Shazam it really quickly or try to write it down or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, oh, Shazam is the best app. Oh, isn't I, it? Oh, Thanks a lot for that. I know. Yeah, you go into a store. I, I used to shop in Old Navy a lot, and they would always yeah. play great music. Yeah. Like, and you would ask the workers, and they would have no idea what you're playing. So then you, you, I did a, you know a little research, and apparently there's a website that only lists uh, Old Navy songs. Oh wow! And it was great. It was like every month they'd update the playlist. Like, oh, oh, that's cool. cool. You know, so wow. that's really great. But yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, the Spoon tonight, you know, saw the videos uh, on Much Music, and you yeah. know, they did that yeah. play down too, and yeah. You know, they, they were wild, um, especially romantic traffic, which was a really cool video shooting on, on the subway. On the subways, yeah. I know it's crazy. Yeah, how um, was that? Do you guys have to shut down or shut down the subway? We didn't shut it down. No, really, they. And it's funny because if I think back now, we we probably had to get some kind of a permit to let us be right. in the subways. Yeah, but it was a much more low key affair in the mid '80s. I mean, really, we were. It was a very self contained unit. It was the band with with a few friends and stuff, and the the director of the video, and he had like one or two assistants. Right. And so really it was like maybe a dozen people at the most. So we would go down and people were doing their things, you know, which is why there was a couple of like, like uh, time-lapse shots of us with the crowds. And cause really we just kind of kept, kept everything going. Used to change 
mentioned you were 15 when you joined the band which you know it's yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing but how how old are, or was like sandy and like Lord? they were all in their late teens early 20s so uh, so i was i had just turned 15 sandy and derek were like 19 and gord was about 21 so they would, i mean it's which is funny now because i think we were all so young right and people, we would do interviews in those days when i was 16 and right. they'd say oh the band is so young you know rob is 16 and gord's 23 and i always kept thinking He's not that young. Like twenty three is old, and yeah. I look. And I, but I was only sixteen. But I look at it now, and I think even twenty three is so young. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. So, like, when you, how did you like first find out about like the band and like the audition and the opening? Well, I knew of the band because, I mean, in in our town, Burlington, there were there weren't a lot of local bands. So there was there was the Spoons, and there was another new wave band called the Onos. Okay. And they turned into a band who you may have heard a couple songs of theirs in the nineties. They were called I I. 
oh, and they, yeah. had some, they had some pretty good songs. Right. But they were the they were the Onos in the eighties. Okay. But uh, my best friend who lived a couple doors down from me, his older brother was involved with the managers of the Spoons. Okay. So yeah. they had released a forty five in this the summer of seventy nine. Yeah. Uh, and then so like a year later, they were doing they were doing gigs in Toronto and not a lot of gigs because they were all still in school. Right. They were going to like college and university. But I knew of them secondhand from my friend. He'd tell me his older brother would tell him the stories of the band going right. in the recording studio. And I was like obsessed with with the spoons when I was 14 yeah. because they were the Burlington New Wave band. And I was obsessed with all the British music, like, you right. know, uh, the Human League and Spandau Ballet and whatever was around. So to, but I wasn't in a band at that point, but I had been in bands since I was about 10 years old. Wow. So by by the time I was 14, there was the new wave coming in with Gary Newman and everything. Right. And I was like in my basement with my keyboards, but but no band. So I'd seen the Spoons play uh, at the, the local library. They did a gig. And then like a few weeks later, their keyboard player quit. Okay. And they put an ad in the local paper. And I always remember it. I was reading the paper and come home, came home from school. I guess I was in grade 11. Yeah. And I came home from school and I was flipping through the section where the bands list stuff. Right. And it said Spoons require keyboardist. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I called up and yeah. I auditioned and I, and I went down to their rehearsal st studio in Burlington. And I, I just never left. So right. we did our first gig. Uh, it was like only a couple of weeks later. So my first gig with the Spoons was the night that John Lennon got killed. Oh, wow. So coming up on the 40th anniversary, December yeah. 8th, 1980. Wow. Yeah. And at that point, they had already been in, had a few meetings with, with an independent label in Toronto. Okay. So a few months after I joined the band, we went into the studio to start recording our first album. Wow. So it started happening pretty quickly. Pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. No, like, you know, hesitation on their side because you were so young you know they at, at one point they did okay well they knew that i had keyboards and they they had actually i had met gordon sandy briefly in the summertime because i did a recording with their original keyboard player which i recently found the reel to reel of this this thing we were making this weird experimental music together um but i so i had met gordon sandy briefly and i had i remember they did say at one point they were not really sh like they were vaguely hesitant to wonder if it was if I was too young, but right. they knew that I could play and they knew that I had experience playing in bands. So they're like, ah, let's just go for it, you know, because they weren't that much older, really. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. That's, yeah. So how did you uh, like land on the keyboard when you were younger? Oh, I started playing piano when I was five. Okay. And I uh, started piano lessons at five years old, and then um, just took like classical piano. And at some point, I started tuning into hearing the keyboards on the radio because I, I was obsessed with with listening to the radio. Right. And I loved everything that was in the top 40. So my first hero was Elton John and then Queen and, yeah. and anything that had a piano in it, I was obsessed, you know, Music Box Dancer by Frank Mills, instrumentals. And then I, I was going to piano lessons and I taught myself to play The Entertainer by Scott Joplin. Okay. Because it was in the movie The Sting. Right, yes. And it was like in the top 10 on the radio, right? With Mixed in with all the pop songs. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right? So I, so I got the music and I taught myself. I learned it myself because I didn't take it to my teacher because she was teaching me the proper classical stuff. Right. And I went to her and I, and I played her what I learned. And she said, oh, that's much too difficult. You know, you need to get a simplified version. And then I got the simplified version and I realized, oh, this doesn't sound anything like the real thing. So I decided from that point, I was going to only go to her for my classical and I would teach myself pop. So I started learning more Elton John and stuff. And... Joined my first band when I was 10 years old. Wow. So by the time I came to join the Spoons, I'd already been in bands for a few yeah, years. You were a veteran already. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. What was it difficult then kind of like splitting off the, the training? Did it ever get like too, too difficult? No. It never did. And I think it was actually, uh, I mean, I look back at it now, of course, so many years later, and I think that I was really 
fortunate that I, that in my own head, I was able to separate those two, right. where I maintained the respect for my teacher and what she wanted me to do, because she was trying to give me a proper classical, you know, playing the scales, yeah. I would do piano exams, and she would give me theory lessons. And so I had all that foundational stuff. But then I was going home and, and learning how to play like Freddie Mercury and learning how to play like Elton John. Right. So I always sort of had those, I felt I feel now like I was fortunate to have had those two streams and I, I really was able to keep the two together, even yeah. though they were separate. Right. And that's great. You want to have a well-rounded, like, yeah, rather yeah. than just one little, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So like, and I mentioned before, not knowing the spoons, you know, yes. here and that, that happens to a lot of Canadian bands where they, they can't like break through for, totally. for some reason. Yep. And I know that the spoons had a little bit of success, I guess, with Nova Heart.
Very little. Like so, we we caught onto the onto the edge of a of a of a wave that was happening in terms of record labels in the states were starting to see that this was going to be a new thing happening. Yeah. So we signed to AM Records in Los Angeles. Okay. And they saw because they saw us play in Toronto with the police. We opened for the police at the police wow. picnic. Okay. Um, and Nova Heart was bubbling under. You know, it, we had some top ten chart action across Canada. So I think they thought, let's get this band because this is like going to be the next you know thing happening. So we signed to A and M, and then they helped I think finance the making of our next couple of albums. Mm -hmm. But they never really knew what to do with us, and so we had pockets of radio play in America. Like we had a little play in Los Angeles, and around the country there were some small things. They got us on tour with Culture Club, okay. so we we opened for Culture Club on their first U.S. tour, which was exposed us to a lot of audiences. Yeah. But it never really translated into us spending a lot more time down in the states, which is unfortunate in some ways. But I feel like we were like a homegrown secret then. Yeah, you know, so. that's a shame because I think you know if I like would have seen one of those shows, I would have you know instantly fallen in love with you guys. Sure. Yeah, because we did we did definitely fit in with everything else that was yeah. happening, right? Absolutely. So. Yeah, because I mean, I, like it's like I like naming bands like The Box. I've had, yeah. all, you know, and like. Strange advance, you know, yep, bands yep. like that. You would think that would, you know, translate down here. Yeah, but nothing, you know. And, yeah, yeah. You know, even you look at like Tragically Hip, which thankfully I discovered when I was in school in Buffalo. You yes, know, they could play you know, the Hammerstein, which I've seen them here. That's but right. In in Canada, they're playing, you know, massive, huge. Bands. Exactly. That's right. I know it's weird that there's there's always been that pocket of so there's there's definitely more bands that haven't translated and crossed the border yeah but you're right if you're on the border and you get to know the bands in canada you realize yeah. oh there's a there's a level of success that you can have in canada yeah. of course you would love to have it translate around the world or into america or whatever but if it doesn't you can still have a pretty good career in canada yeah absolutely i mean because you look at say brian adams who yeah worldwide yeah hip, which you would think could be worldwide but yes they were just like canvas band which that's right and even bare naked ladies is a, yeah. is a good example of somebody who came along and was definitely at more of an alternative level but that translated in canada but around the world as well yeah exactly so. sarah mclaughlin too yes one. yeah 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 because like you know like i don't know m griner i don't know if you yeah you know, yep and i loved her music but i sure. wouldn't here at, at all uh -huh. you know, maybe if i started david bowie because she <laughs> singer right then i wouldn't even know known her but yeah that, that's right yeah but then uh a couple other songs yeah you know aria's symphonies which is I, you know a fantastic song all, all the emotions yeah. uh yeah so like the the first couple albums you say for five years right is that yes i was in the band for five years okay so then there's how, how much like did you have any writing uh like yeah i co-wrote i co-wrote romantic traffic Okay. And co-wrote some songs. No other singles, I don't think. But it's funny because Romantic Traffic is now like one of the songs after all these years that still yeah. gets played so much. Right. And I think, oh, that's really cool that I co-wrote. You know, I was a part of that song. I was starting to do more writing with Gord. I think I had probably a couple songs on each album. The first album was almost all Gord. And I think maybe Sandy co-wrote a song. Right. But then Arias and Symphonies album and Talk Back, I co-wrote a few songs on both of those. Right. Yeah, so. and you mentioned like you know obviously opening up for a culture club and, and the police now you're 15 16 years old and you're playing in front of these you know massive audience opening up for worldwide legends like that's got to be yeah. surreal for you it was really cool yeah. what was really what was really good though too was the fact that it still felt a bit like an underground scene that was happening because like like we opened for simple minds in 1981 where they played a, a, a place in toronto called the concert hall okay. which was a venue which held 
maybe 1200 people. It's not, it wasn't not a big place. And it was like a big open kind of space with a balcony as well. Right. But that's where all the new wave bands, like any, anybody who was like an up and coming, pretty big band, they would play there. Right. So we opened for them there and they didn't really have radio, any radio songs at that time. They, but we, as the new wave crowd really knew who they were. So we would be on these, on these uh, shows opening for bands like that. We did several shows with our OMD as well. Oh, wow. Okay. When it was like the early days for them, 81, yeah. it was 1981. Right. Yeah. So it was before they really had any real radio success right. as well. So it was kind of a cool time for us to be, feel like we we're a part of the scene in the, we were like the Canadian version of that scene, you know? Right. So the first really big one that we did was opening for the police because that was at a at a hockey or a football stadium in Toronto at, at uh, the CNE. Okay. Um, but but then up to that point, it really was more like a more low key in a way. Wow. Yeah. Did you so, guys you know interact with, with those bands at all? A little bit. Yeah. Like we got we knew Sting. We met Sting yeah. at when we did the Toronto gig, and then we ran into him again when we signed to A and M Records, and we okay. were visiting the A and M lot in Los Angeles, and Sting happened to be there like in the recording studio. So we we talked to him for a minute there right. as well. Yeah, oh, that's right. Because yeah, the police was signed to the AM. Yeah, and then Sting actually was responsible for introducing us to Nile Rogers because okay. when we were on tour with Culture Club, right? Uh, Sting and Nile and I think he was with Steve Winwood. They all came to see us play at. Yeah. Uh, we played at the Ritz. Was it? The, no, it was the Palladium in New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when we on the Culture Club tour, right. so that was Nile Rock. Sting probably said to Nile, like, you know, yeah. this band played with us in Toronto, yeah. and then that what made Nile approach our record company about producing us as well. Wow, that, that's that's grim because he's a legendary producer. And yeah, and again, he was like he was on his upward tra trajectory at that time mm -hmm. because he had just done Let's Dance with David Bowie, right. and he was looking for a new project. So he he liked our sound, and he right. he approached our label and said, "I'd like to work with these guys." And we were just it just so happened that we were getting ready to start working on a new record. So yeah, and good you, yeah, you guys made a bunch of videos, and I mentioned already romantic track. Did you enjoy yeah. making uh, the videos? Sure, they were fun because it was a whole new thing at that time. Yeah. And you know, it was a it was a new way. You it really felt like a marketing thing more yeah. than anything else. Like you felt like, wow, this is a new way for people to hear our music, yeah. but then they're gonna see us. So it was kind of a like a fun thing to all of a sudden be creatively in another creative department in that way. Yeah. So. Did you like you ever look back and like you look at your look and say, eh, or Always. You're, you're oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I would much rather listen. Like, I mean, I look at the romantic traffic video yeah. and I think, oh my god, like too much makeup and you know too much hairspray yeah but definitely at the time we definitely fit in with the moment you know yeah so in some ways i'm glad that the music lives on more than the videos these days I'll, i mean of course you can find it all on youtube anyways yeah exactly but i have to remember well there are certain things that will date you more than others and i think our music definitely sounds like the 80s in some ways but in a really good way yeah and some of the videos, I think they date us in a not so good way, but it, it's like looking at people in the 50s. You know, it's like if you see Shanana and they all got their big greased back hair and you think, oh my God, it's like happy days. Yeah. So, right. But feel, yeah, exactly. You know, I, any music, I think, just, you know, supersedes the um, the videos. Totally. Anyway, totally. totally. Yeah. But yeah, because, and I think there's a lot of inspiration, I'm sure, of, you know, people now who look back at the spoons as inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I like I look at some music that's come out in the last 10 or 15 years where they they look back to an 80s sound and I think, yeah. oh, it sounds like like stuff that we were doing. Right. But it kind of gets reinvented over and over again with a new generation, which I think is cool. I mean, in some ways, I think, oh, we did it already. You know, why not do something new? Because in our days, we were always trying to do something new. And I don't remember ever having that feeling of looking backwards for inspiration. I don't think we ever really did. But I think we've hit a point where we where we've accumulated so many different types of music 
yeah. that we and we're all getting older at the same time. So it's comforting for people to look backwards and go, oh, I, I really like that sound. But if somebody new does a similar thing, it's a nice thing to hear. Yeah, because I mean, you, you look back like when you were guys are you know just starting there really wasn't that much to look back to no not know? at all and now it's like okay this is, it might be we were we difference between yeah the, the 80s but the sound is you know so you can draw inspiration you know totally like we were breaking new ground and right. i feel like we were all like in the same boat like like we were talking about tears for fears and i think and t i would listen to the new tears for fears or i mean i remember when their first album came out yeah. and we had already done our first album and I remember listening to them going, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But then I'm listening to them as a fan, but also as a peer, right. because we were taking all the music around us as inspiration for our new work as well. Yeah. So we would listen to the new Flock of Seagulls and the new Devo and the new, you know, whoever was around. And then we could come into our world and kind of bring the same inspirations in. But was that ever like kind of like hindrance? Because like you're kind of you're maybe working on a song and you sound maybe like too much of a Flock of Seagulls. Yeah, we never. I never thought about it so much at the time, but right. it's funny because there's there are definitely some of our songs that I listen to if I go back and hear them now, and I can totally hear the influence of yeah. what was around us. There's a couple of things, and I think, oh, that sounds a little bit like Flock of Seagulls, or that chord sounds like it was inspired by something we might have heard from maybe Duran Duran or something. Right. Yeah. But really, we were all feeding off of each other in that way. So. Right. So it was what, 85, right? You, you left the band? I left the band. The last show that Derek, the drummer, and I, the last show we did was New Year's Eve 85. Oh, wow. Okay. So I left the band. We both left the band at the same time in January of 86. Okay. Now, so. was that, I mean, I'm sure you guys left on good terms, right? You just, wanted, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah we, we, it was a bit of a surprise, I think, to Gordon and Sandy because, because okay. I, I just sort of felt like it was time to move on. Like I had just turned 20 and I was like, yeah. Oh my God, I've been in this band for five years. Right. <laughs> I, I've never done anything for five years in a row. Yeah. So I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I felt like it was just time to move on. So. Right. And you didn't have anything lined up at that point. Nothing. nothing. I had, I had been writing some songs. I started working on some songs on my own and I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something on my own, but I, I didn't have enough confidence and enough, uh, really an, enough knowledge on my own to, to have to go forward like that. So I sort of did some writing and I did some work with some friends and stuff. But then like nine months later, I joined the band Honeymoon Suite. Right. Was that similar to like joining the Spoons or was it out of the paper or you just heard? Cause you uh, I got, I, well, I got a, I got a call to audition for the band. Oh, okay. So they knew of me from the Spoons cause, right. cause you know, they just knew who I was in that way, but yeah. they wanted, they were auditioning. So their uh, tour manager called me and said, we're going to be auditioning keyboard players. And if you're interested, here's a list of songs, learn three or four of these songs and come out to the rehearsal studio. So I thought about it and I had heard Honeymoon Suite for the last year and a half on the radio. And I thought, man, there's this new Canadian rock band. There's, they're like, they're going up the charts right. while the spoons were sort of cruising along because we didn't have a new record out or anything. Right. And I thought, wow, Honeymoon Suite, it's kind of cool. So when I got the chance to audition for the band, I thought, well, this might be a fun sort of twist in my, in my yeah. life, my life path. So I got really ambitious and I learned all the songs that the guy told me to learn. So I learned like 13 songs. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when I went to audition for the band and, and they had only told me to learn like four songs. And so they said, what did you learn? I said, uh, pick a song. I, I basically learned them all. So okay. I was like, I was kind of nervous, but I thought I'll just fake my way through it, you know? Yeah, right. So, and it worked. <laughs> and it worked yeah. because, because like four days later, I was with them and we opened for Journey in Kansas City. Wow. So my, my first gig was, yeah. was pretty quick after because they were sort of in the midst of a bunch of different tours because right. they had just released a new album. So it's like I jumped onto a moving train and just kept going. Yeah. And it's like, they're like, 
music genre is a little bit different than the spoons completely it's, different yeah. it was much more right. that like more rock. you know mainstream rock kind yeah. of sound right yeah. yeah and they had you know they broke through more so than the spoons did totally yeah, yeah when i joined the band they had a they had a song in the american charts which got into the low top 40. Yeah. it didn't get too high right. but it definitely got them the opportunity yeah. to get on some good tours like right. like before just before i joined they were on the road with heart okay. and zz top yeah. and and uh 38 special and those kind right. of bands so it's definitely a different style of music but i had fun with it because i really grew up listening to rock and roll yeah. and you know whatever was big in the 70s so yeah. it was fun for me to, to play with them right was that band dynamic different than the spoons it was i mean they were a little bit older as well they were they were um in their early 30s at that point and i was i had just turned 21. Right. so a little bit of an age difference again yeah. but i didn't care and they didn't care because i fit in with the band right. um but it was fun because they were a real good hard-working band i mean the tour manager and the manager they were really aiming for the top and we had signed they were signed to warner brothers records in california and so we had a really good distribution happening and worldwide, like like two months after I joined the band or even a month, we were playing in Japan. We went to Japan for a, a festival thing and yeah. played a couple of different gigs there. And we went and toured in Europe and stuff. So it was really fun. Wow, that's great. And then yeah. uh, um, I know Michael McDonald came in a little bit, right? Well, yeah, because we had um, so the producer that we used for the for the third album was Ted Templeman, okay. who produced all of the Van Halen albums and all of the Doobie right. Brothers albums. And there was one song we were working on that we couldn't, we like could not finish it. And we had all the music and we had even recorded the track in the studio. And Ted said, let me give it to Michael McDonald and see if he can come up with something. So he kind of co-wrote the song with us and came oh, up with a melody yeah. and sang some background vocals on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's it's hard not to have a Michael McDonald impersonation, right? Oh, it's not hard at all. Yeah, <laughs> He's fantastic. And yeah. I mean, it's so funny. The weirdest experience was, was him coming into the recording studio and in, in the control room with us to right. kind of sh to show us what he had written for the song and he was sitting right beside me singing the melody that he had written and it was so weird because it was just the sound of michael mcdonald but like in real life yeah bizarre right. it was really cool yeah no it's great because I, I listen to the yacht rock station on sirius all the time oh sure and you know whether if it's him alone or the doobie brothers or he yeah. backed up every other song ever so he's totally playing it's it's, it's fantastic oh yeah such a such an iconic sound right oh, absolutely and that, yeah. that's you know their own impersonation. I'm, 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 I'll spare <laughs> yeah. you because my right. is, is pretty bad. Yeah. Right. So your your stay in there was like around the same length as the spoon. Right? Not as long. I was only with Honeymoon Suite. Well, I guess it was a total of about three years in total. Okay. Yeah. And and I, I again, it's like I had this this pattern in my life at that point where I, I just kind of got a little restless, yeah. and I, I really loved playing with the guys, and and there was no animosity between us. But I just sort of felt like. I don't know, maybe there's something else. And at that point, what I started getting interested in trying to pursue was in the was the world of musical theater. Okay. Um, because it just seemed like something that might be fun to do. Like, I liked the idea of, of when I found out that that's how they do the music in a show, that you have musicians in a pit and they go down there and they just show up and they read the music that's already written and you just play the songs and the music and then that's what you do. And I thought, that sounds like something I would like to do. So I sort of found my way into that world in Toronto and it turned into like a 20 year career. Wow. So yeah. How did, how did you get involved? Like same way audition and just, I sort of, yeah, I auditioned. I found my way into, so the show that was coming to Toronto that I really wanted to do was Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Cause I, I realized, Oh, I was obsessed with, with silent films and I loved Lon Chaney when I was a kid and monster movies. And I thought, Ooh, Phantom of the Opera sounds really cool. So I listened to the cast album and I heard all the keyboards, you know, yeah. there was piano and there was organ and synthesizers. 
And I thought, man, this is something that I think I, I could get into. So, I, but I had to find my way into that world and how do they hire musicians and how do people get experience on the job? And eventually I found my way into uh, playing a show in Toronto and I, and I did the musical Cats for a little while. Okay. And then I got to meet the people involved with Phantom and then I got to sub right. at Phantom and be one of the first like alternate musicians to come in and play. And then I joined the Canadian tour of Phantom and that lasted for a couple of years. And it just kind of snowballed from there that I did some other shows in Toronto for several years. So how did like the detract down, you know, to Broadway happen? Well, then I got involved with the show Mamma Mia. Okay. And Mamma Mia started in Toronto and we were the first production of the show outside of London. So it was a brand new show at the time. Okay. And they, it came to Toronto because they weren't quite ready to bring it to Broadway yet. And it was a pretty big success in London, but they weren't sure if it was going to translate anywhere else. So they figured that we, the Canadians, are like a good middle ground right. between the Brits and the Americans. Yeah. So they brought it to Canada and it was such a fun show to play. And I loved, I got to bring my rock and roll background because it was really based on a lot of keyboards and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I did the show in Toronto for about a year. And then I was on, then I got to go on to the West Coast of America and do the tour there. And then they asked me to come to Broadway with the show. And I was like, sure, I would love to go work in New York. So that turned into a 15-year gig. Wow. So I did the show from the beginning of the run in, in right. New York until the end. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was like the first show where it was like just they wrote a story around yeah. music, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. And, yeah. In, and it's funny now because there have been other shows where they've tried to do that. Yeah. And I think it's never worked as well as it did with Mamma Mia because it was such a unique thing at the time. And people knew those songs so well that like really the songs would start in the sh in during the show and audience members would laugh because it was just like funny that the song fits yeah. so perfectly at that moment right you know? i remember i i've I, I never saw the show i know my wife did uh yeah loves, obviously the movie's a little different but yeah know, movies you know she'll watch again also you know, sure as well but the, i think like moving out with the billy joel show yep yep a good example of how it didn't really work that well <laughs> exactly you right know, yeah i mean and yeah. it's funny because the broadway people like the creative people try to find new ways to do the same thing yeah so they definitely tried it with with a bunch of different people i know there was a john lennon musical there was a johnny right. cash musical yeah. there was like an elvis musical and right. and unfortunately for a lot of them i think that they sort of thought it would be easy to just put the songs into a show and it'll be a hit but that's right. it. i mean mama mia had a really good story as well which yeah. kind of helped right so. i think the carol king one that worked that definitely worked yeah, that oh yeah right and i think yep. aren't they working on a um go-go's one they did do a go-go's one yes yeah. right. and it was quite a success it didn't get a really long run but and i never saw it but the people who saw it really loved it yeah so. right and i had tickets to my wife coming for my birthday to see sing street that was opening up. oh i was involved with i was doing a little oh. bit of work on that yeah oh, okay. and, and, and it closed <laughs> like they were supposed to start previews in march right yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then crazy. Like, I know I was I was doing helping them out um, last year because the guy who was the music supervisor was somebody that I worked with at Mamma Mia. Okay. And I also worked on once this musical called Once. Right. Yeah. And so it was the same guy that I was working with on that, and he was involved with Sing Street. So I was helping him to audition all the kids to you know to to, to be in the show. Oh wow! And that movie, so, I love that movie. That movie it's such a good so, film, isn't it? The music's great, and yeah. Know, and Gary Clark who wrote it. Yeah. yeah, I got to spend some time with Gary in yeah. when we were auditioning all the cast members, and and so I spent a couple of couple of audition sessions with Gary right. and a guy from Depeche Mode named Peter Gordano. Okay, yeah, who plays in the touring band. Okay, Peter came on board with Sing Street as well, so right. it was really cool to be in the room with those guys. Yeah, that's yeah. Weird, I, I interviewed Gary. He was like one of my first. Like, first oh my god! I have to go back and listen. That's amazing. Yeah. It's 
it's a little rough because of the quality of the interview, but I mean, he was great. And like, he's a great guy. Yeah. And he's was, another, he's another guy who's such a good singer. And we were in, in the room auditioning and, and at the piano and he would just sing little bits of things. And I thought, Oh my God, there's that voice. Yeah. And, and it was funny because you know, I mentioned now the age where you can just Shazam everything or just, yeah. I could not find that Danny Wilson album anywhere mm. for like years. You'd search and search and search. So yeah. set, you know, obviously you, eaten by the the boom box yeah so you, you, you try to find it and thankfully i found like a uh a uh import on a virgin mega store eventually but it's yeah like yeah yeah the, the search you know we talked we, we talked about before but hopefully do you know did he i don't know if this was before he was involved with this show a netflix series called modern love yeah he was just um i think he was just working on it was he it's really good and he did he did oh, the theme music it's really good yeah it's really good yeah, yeah right is there any talk about bringing that show back, uh, Sing Street? Well, I think I think like with the rest of Broadway, I, I think that there's got to be somebody hopeful that it's going to be a thing. You know, like I mean, it's such a huge unknown at this point. Like, what shows can can get up and running right away, and what the time frame is going to be? Yeah. But it was like they did a run of the show off Broadway last Christmas. Okay, and it was really good. I did a little bit of music work on the show for that as well. Um, but I really hope it comes back because it was really really good yeah the music is i mean it's fantastic and yeah yeah it's really good but you, we mentioned queen before and you actually helped uh rami malik right yeah, i did some work with rami malik yeah. as well yeah. yeah i have got all these little weird bits and pieces of things right. that i've done yeah it's crazy no, yeah so to play freddie mercury and um, yeah Bohemian Rhapsody. How, yeah. How, what was that experience like and what kind of well it was it was like a year it was uh over a year before the film was released so it was the summer of 2017 Right. And he was in New York still filming his TV show, Mr. Robot. Right. And I got a, an email from the music supervisors for the film for Bohemian Rhapsody in London. Okay. And they contacted me because he was going to be starting to shoot the film like the end of the summertime, I think. Yeah. And they wanted him to get a head start on all the stuff he was going to have to learn to do. So right. they wanted somebody to start giving him some, some piano lessons. So I got together with him just for a couple of sessions, really, okay. and just just kind of showed him the beginnings of what he was going to have to do as Freddie. So right. I showed him some of the Bohemian Rhapsody stuff okay. where you play and cross over your hands yeah. while you're playing and stuff. Right. And he stood over me with a, with his phone and videotaped my hands so he could oh, like okay. you know kind of get a sense of yeah. it. And then like a month later, he was off to London to film, and I never saw him again. Oh wow! Okay. So so I was like his earliest yeah, earliest piano coach for the film because I know. Once the film was released, and I thought I, it was so much later, and I thought I don't even know if my if I'll get a credit in the film, yeah. but I did get a credit, which I was excited. But it was me and five other piano coaches. Of course, because yeah. I think I think they always had people on the set to make sure he looked right all the time. You know. Uh, yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The uh, the last twenty minutes when they did the live aid, that was it was amazing, right? Oh my god! And was... apparently that was the first thing they filmed too. Okay. Right. So that's how they started the film was yeah. was that shoot. Right, no, that, that's fantastic, and yeah, yeah. That, that that day, I'm, I'm sure you watched it, right? Oh yeah, yeah, huh. amazing. Right, yeah, because I, I had those DVDs that you know, I still watch a little bit. It's it's fantastic. Every year I think about it too, right? Like it's crazy. Yeah. Like like a year doesn't go by when you don't think, oh my god, this is the day of Live Aid. And it's funny because we had a Spoons gig on that day. Okay. And I remember we had a little portable TV backstage, yeah. and we were watching whatever we could see. Right. You know? Yeah, I just remember you know Phil Collins going from I think London to yeah. Philadelphia, I think it was. Yeah, right? yeah, which was which was amazing. Yeah, I was supposed to play with. The, well, it's one of those what if moments. I was supposed to play with the Thompson Twins actually. Oh wow, okay. Because Nile Rodgers had just produced the Thompson Twins album Here to Future, Here's to Future Days. Okay. 
And Niall and I, that summer, I was in a, I did, a, I came down to New York and did a music video with Niall and I played on a Sheena Easton album. Okay. And he recommended me to the Thompson Twins for the Live Aid gig, but it was too much of a hassle with, with oh. me getting a visa to come over the border and stuff. Yeah. So it never worked out. Oh, and it's one of those things I think, oh, imagine if I had been able to do the Live Aid with the Thompson Twins, it would have been so cool. Yeah, that, that would have been awesome. Yeah. 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 But, so, oh, well. Yeah. So what, what are you working on now? Uh, right now, a little bit of I'm doing some remixing for some bands in Canada. Okay. Like I mean, since this whole year has gone by and kind of the world has shut down, I've been kind of stuck at home, but working on music here. But fortunately, there's been a couple of projects for some bands up in Canada. There's a band called Church of Trees okay. that I've done some remixes for, and they've actually been getting some pretty good airplay around the world on like electronic music stations and stuff right. like that. So it's been fun to kind of dip my my yeah. remixing hands into this kind of new music stuff right and sort of working on some stuff of my own which i haven't released yet and some okay. some i've i've been wanting to write a some kind of a memoir kind of thing yeah so i'm i'm taking notes always like trying to think of ways to organize it and make it happen right gord from the spoons released a book a couple of years ago That's right he did yeah and and ever since i read his i think oh it's really nice to have something concrete that you have as a memory of the things you've done right did you, you know? like have a memoir as you went through your career do you like jot down notes or is everything oh i've taken lots of notes okay. yeah so yeah. so fortunately i've kept journals and diaries and stuff right. but in the last couple of years as well i've been writing more things down and like i sort of have it all accumulated but i i'm sort of at the point where i think oh i need to start really trying to lay it out and, and find a way to properly organize it before right. it's too late so, yeah absolutely i ask this question all the time um remember where you were the first time you heard like one of your songs on the radio totally do I was, well, there's two of them actually. Uh, the first time that I heard one of our songs uh, played on FM radio, okay. it was uh, when we released our first album. Right. And it was actually the very first interview that Gordon and I did for uh, the radio station in, in, yeah. in Toronto and in Brampton, Ontario called okay. CFNY. Oh yeah. And CFNY was the one station that played us yeah. in the early days. Cause that was the one new wave station. Right. So we were, once we got played on CFNY, we thought, Oh my God, we have made it because we are getting played on the station. That's playing only the music that we love, you know, right. it, before, before simple minds and tears for fears and anybody had any radio hits. Yeah. It was always CFNY. So the first time Gordon and I did an interview for CFNY was amazing. And I still have a, a cassette recording of it in, in somewhere in a box. Oh, that's but, awesome. but the first time we released Nova heart, yeah. And it was actually played on an AM radio station. I was driving down the road in my Volkswagen Beetle and it came on the radio and I had to pull off, like pull off. I was driving down Lakeshore Road in Burlington and I heard right. it start and I had to pull off into a little park and just stop because I thought, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Because I grew up listening to this radio station. Right. Oh, that, that, that's awesome. Yeah. My AM radio station, which I listened to from like age five till forever you know yeah so to hear us on that was the coolest thing right that's great yeah, yeah. What, what, what is your favorite uh, swoon song my favorite yeah well i don't really have a favorite it's like asking to what's your favorite who's your favorite kid yeah Paul. um i mean i love all of them but yeah. i'm i guess i'm sort of partial to nova heart right only because it was like the song that introduced our sound to the world right. and we sort of went from there in terms of like even the album that we did after that yeah. we kind of based it on what we had started with nova heart okay. sorry that's yeah, great. yeah, but Rob, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I'll have you back on when whatever your project. Sure, anytime. We could, and we 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 could talk about other music. We could talk about everybody else's music. And a special thanks to Rob for joining me today. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the first one nine, or like the page where we my youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. 
While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud, Podbean, TuneIn, and wherever you can find podcasts. And go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases. They're all there. A new episode comes out every week. We'll see you next week. Stay safe, everyone.